Welcome to Green and Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined shortly here by Matt McLean out in Eau Claire. And what a difference a week makes. The Green Bay Packers return to Lambeau Field for their home opener after a real tough loss to the San Francisco 49ers, and they obliterate the Washington Redskins by a final score of 38-20, to and it was not even that close. Uh, obviously a lot of good things to talk about coming out of this game, and I, uh, we can make an assessment as to whether or not this changes our opinion on the Green Bay Packers, especially me since mine was a little bit lesser. And we can kind of talk about some of the other things in the NFL because, once again, just when you think you know what's going on in the league, you realize you don't really know anything. So there's some other things we can talk about. But to start off, let's bring Matt in here. And I know the Redskins, uh, Redskins seem to be a little bit in disarray, but... This is as impressive as the Packers have been, in my eyes, since probably 2011. Uh, even with that Houston game last year, they just didn't completely obliterate an opponent and make it... I mean, it looked like they were Wisconsin playing against UMass yesterday at a lot of the times. And I was... Um, not that I ever thought they were a bad team, but they looked a lot better than I expected to see them at any point this year. Yeah, and they were so well-rounded, too, and I... I I guess I'm not super surprised by the offense, but the way the defense played in that first half was incredible. Mm-hmm. And Washington is supposed to be one of these contenders in the NFC who a lot of people think is going to win their division. And they, uh, mm-hmm. like you said, they made them look like a like an FCS team uh, on Sunday. So it was it was really awesome to see. Like you said, they've I mean they've blown people out before, and you know even compared to teams that they beat that are bad, like beating some of those bad Lions teams, mm-hmm. this might be as impressive as we've seen. You know, like you said, in a couple of years. So it was. It was definitely great to see. Yeah, and I mean, twenty-four to nothing halftime lead, and they were a fingertip of James Jones away from a thirty-one to nothing halftime lead. Just incredible performance. Aaron Rodgers tying Matt Flynn's uh, franchise record for single game passing yards. He's now tied both of Flynn's marks, so Flynn is still <laughs> existing in the Packer record book for that great game in twenty eleven. You had the wide receivers look absolutely spectacular. James Starks uh, rushing for 132 yards. The defense uh, having a couple of turnovers there. I guess the most impressive part, I think, you mentioned the defense, but let's just start with the offense. Aaron Rodgers, we always expect him to look great, but one of the concerns uh, I had this uh, offseason was that they're entrusting this offense to a lot of somewhat unproven guys. You've had uh, James Jones, Randall Cobb, Jermichael Finley, Jordy Nelson, all have had very, very bright spots, but it hasn't existed for a long period of time. Um, but, man, you're, you're afraid to say anything just because of how the other, th- you know, three of those four have been quite injured. James Jones has been up and down throughout his career, but... You hate to say trim the fat when you're talking about guys like uh, Greg Jennings and Donald Driver, but this is as cohesive as I can remember this receiving core looking in a long time. It was just so effortless. I mean, it, Aaron Rodgers' 480, it just looked so easy to come by. I mean, it's not like he was struggling at all. Everybody was open, and if they weren't, he was throwing them open, or the receivers were you know, making plays on, on balls. So it was, uh, yeah, I... I don't know. I mean, these are the four guys that we're, we're stuck with here, and it doesn't look like a bad thing at this point. I mean, James Jones looked like one of the best receivers in the league. Mm-hmm. Got, he got targeted 12 times, which is incredible. Yeah. And uh, and Randall Cobb looks basically unstoppable, and he, mm-hmm. he did last year too, but he's staying healthy and continuing it this year now. And I, I don't know how you stop all four of these guys. I, th- mm-hmm. I think it's about as good of a, you know, a four-receiver tandem as there is in the league right now. Yeah, and... 
I mean, pick your poison, because James Jones seems to be able to find the open spots. Jordy Nelson is a matchup nightmare. Jermichael Finley, I mean, he's that times ten. He just is bowling over people like he's, you know, pick Mike Ditka or, or pick your great tight end. He's just destroying people. And Randall Cobb's burst almost looks like Marvin Harrison or Jerry Rice, just how fast he gets moving once he has the ball. And they can do everything with these guys, and Rodgers is rarely missing. It You almost run out of ways to describe how good these guys are, but um, I don't know. I feel silly for almost doubting them a little bit, but they've played great both weeks. I mean, arguably, they... I mean, this offense is... They, they had some kind of ups and downs last week, but gosh, this is one of the better starts to the season I've seen, even including 2011 from an offensive standpoint, because they kind of struggled that second week uh, in 2011, so just, I'm I'm almost speechless, I did not expect this offense to be that good that fast. And there, I mean, there's really nothing you can say other than they were just great. And I think part of the reason why they look so good is because they had the other parts moving. Mm-hmm. The offensive line started really shaky, but then picked it up after that. So that's obviously a huge part of this offense. And then in their run blocking, they were fantastic. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, James Stark's getting going for over 100 yards for the first time for the Packers in a long time. That's going to make Rodgers' job a lot easier. But like you said with the pick-your-poison thing, I mean, we've got one of each kind of receivers. I mean, you got a possession guy, you got a speed guy, you got a deep threat guy, and you got a, you know, an freak of a tight end for a mismatch there so mm-hmm. you know it's if they have every part going and the offensive line plays well this offense is going to be pretty much unstoppable mm-hmm. and I know they weren't quite clicking that well last week but they were going against a pretty darn good San Francisco defense and still looked pretty good so mm-hmm. you know I I think we're in for some big numbers this year again and maybe Rodgers can top his uh his his big totals from a couple of years ago maybe yeah, you you wonder he's got what seven touchdowns in two games. So mm-hmm. you know, obviously you don't want to parlay that out for the whole season. What is that, fifty six touchdowns? I don't know if you'll yeah. get to that. But uh, one of the things, and I don't know if I mentioned it on the podcast, but I was this off season trying to analyze why exactly the twenty eleven or twenty twelve offense just didn't seem like the Packers offense of the previous three years. Um, it. From a yardage standpoint, from a point standpoint, they were still really high in the league. They scored 27 points a game. They're like fifth in yards, or maybe they were a little lower than that in yards, honestly. But they still, you know, for for all intents and purposes, was still a really good offense. And it just didn't feel like they were the Packers last year, and I really couldn't figure out why in the numbers. So I finally was able to break it down. And uh, if I shared these numbers earlier in the offseason, I apologize, but it kind of works into what we've seen so far in 2013. The big difference between last year's offense and the offenses of 2009, 10, and 11 was their lack of explosive plays, where in 2009, 10, and 11, they had 32, 35, and 37 plays of over 30 yards. Uh, in 2012, they only had 23, so that was a big, huge drop. Um, that sounded very scientific. A very big, huge drop. In, uh, <laughs> um, but it was quite a significant reduction, almost a third. And this year... They already have eight plays over 30 yards in two games. I mean, that would put them on pace to shatter the 37 that they got in 2011 when they were just completely unstoppable. So that ought to give you some perspective as the thing that maybe held them back last year and made them uh, inconsistent at times and vulnerable was the fact that they couldn't have those explosive plays. They only had 23 all of last year in 16 games. They have eight and two. So I think at least as long as everybody can stay healthy, um, 
sure there's going to be adjustments and they're probably not going to get four a week for the rest of the season, which they have exactly four against San Francisco, four against Washington. But that is an encouraging sign that this offense, we talked all last year that it seemed like defenses had figured out uh, what Rodgers and McCarthy were trying to do. The first two games of this season says, hey, you know, we've moved our chess pieces and now we got you on the run again. Yeah, and, and you know, it might have something to do with the health of some of the receivers last year. Maybe they just weren't, you know, as good at deep threats as they normally are because they were a little banged up and what have you. But I just remember thinking all last year, it just seemed like teams were playing just cover two and some deep safety zones on us, and we just couldn't take the top off of it at all. Mm-hmm. And and all of a sudden this year that's changed. So I, I guess I don't know enough, and the sample size is so small that I don't know if we've, you know, adjusted to that, if the receivers are just playing better, or if for some reason teams have stopped playing that strategy against us. I don't know if you've you've really noticed anything, but I mean, it's been one-on-one guys down the sidelines more consistently, and Rodgers is hitting every single one, so um, it seemed like there was a strategy that was working against us last year, so I don't know if we've we've kind of changed things up, or we're just kind of getting some nice matches. Yeah, and it's a very small sample size, as you mentioned, but just, like, they had at least, what was it, one or two, they had some deep routes down the sidelines on pump fakes yesterday, and I think they had a, that one to Nelson, they had some others against San Francisco, and I felt like we didn't see that hardly at all last year. Yeah. And it, everything just felt like it was such an effort to get down the field all last season. I mean, we talked a ton in the early season uh, podcast last year of them trying to do that boot and then the throw the deep post to Jordy, and everybody in the stadium and everybody on the defense knew exactly where that ball was going when Aaron Rodgers took two steps from under center. And this year it seems like, and I don't know, it could be the health of the wide receivers, but even at the beginning of the season when guys were healthy, they still couldn't push the ball downfield. I mean, remember they had, their first two games, they had 22, 23, and 12 points. Uh, so, I mean, they had, they struggled uh, quite a bit in the beginning of the season. They couldn't do anything in the preseason. And just, yeah, I, I guess I don't know exactly, but it just feels like guys are more open down the field. Um, it it just looks different, and I guess the only quantifiable thing I can have is those eight explosive plays in two games, which would put them on pace to smash their previous four seasons. But, um, yeah, it, it, it might be a culmination of all of those things, but certainly um, in a very encouraging sign considering that one of those two games was against the San Francisco 49ers, and it really didn't look all that much different than it did against Washington. I think another thing we need to talk about is the running game, obviously. The first time in 44 games that the Green Bay Packers have had a 100-yard rusher, and he blew right past that total. Um, so Brandon Jackson, no longer in the Packers' record books, I guess. Thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's still in your uh, set of those those uh, Czech Republic uh, <laughs> dolls or whatever, though, unfortunately. That one's going to be harder to get rid of. But uh, also against the Redskins. So apparently we just need to play Washington more. Uh, that that's where both of our most recent 100-yard regular season rushers have been. But it James Starks is one of those things, and uh, I guess first we'll start with the obvious. Eddie Lacy having one carry looked very good. Then Brandon Merriweather knocks him out with a pretty big cheap shot. And I know we were texting about this yesterday, and I, I think I've made it pretty clear on this show that I am a not uh, I'm, I'm very kind of almost squeamish to the concussion problem in the NFL. I don't like when anybody gets hurt, even if it's on opposing players. But I don't remember the last time, at least in adulthood, that I've been so satisfied to see somebody get dinged than when Brandon Merriweather lowered his helmet again for like the second time in 20 minutes of real time and have James Starks just run him over. 
Yeah, I know. I feel really bad, and I almost hate to admit it, but I, de- I definitely felt like doing a little fist pump after that. <laughs> I mean, this guy has a history of this, too, so yeah. it's not like he just came into this game wanting to hurt somebody. Mm-hmm. He's done it before, and it's clearly what he's doing with his tackling. He goes right after Lacey with his head, and then he does it again on the play that he gets injured. He doesn't even put his arms out. He's just torpedoing himself at people's heads, and it's you know, absolutely dangerous. Mm-hmm. And you had texted me after Lacey got hurt and said, man, if some of these DPs would get hurt more doing this, you know, I, I think it would really cut down on it and probably be better for the league overall, even though you hate to see an injury when yeah. it happens. But I think you're right. I mean, this guy was completely reckless. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of doubt he's going to start keep tackling like that after what happened to him. I didn't hear what the final injury report was. Probably just the concussion, I would think, huh? Yeah, because he walked off the field, and I would assume hopefully he's okay. Um, but, yeah, you would think that would change your style of play. Uh, even Troy Aikman, you know, the, the the guys doing the commentary are employed by the, the, you know, contracted out by the NFL. They're usually pretty careful with what they say unless it's a big deal. And I don't know if you paid attention, but Troy said – Okay, here's Brandon Merriweather for the second time in the game going to the ahead, and this time he knocks himself out of the game. And, like, completely remorseless uh, Mm -hmm. for when it And Joe Buck was the same way coming back from the break, basically just without saying it, saying, gosh, what an idiot. Um, You know, serves you right without actually coming out and being that strong about it. But um, that that part of the game needs to go, and I don't know how it's going to happen, and I hope... It doesn't happen, you know, more like what happened to Michael Floyd yesterday. Um, but some of these guys, I mean, I don't, I don't want anybody to get hurt or have long-term problems. But, you know, if, if people are going to get dinged, I hope it's these people who, you don't want to say deserve it, but are the ones who are causing the problem in the first place so that maybe they second-guess the way they play. It's hard to believe that players are still tackling that way. I mean, especially, I mean, think of what's going through this guy's head. He just knocked somebody out of the game with a concussion, mm-hmm. and he's still doing it after that play. You know, after the countless things that he has to have seen about not tackling that way. I mean, it's not even like he's wrapping up and his head's going up into a chin. He's just launching his helmet right into other people's heads. I mean, it's yeah. it's completely idiotic and, and irresponsible and just dangerous. Yeah, I mean, you're you're aiming to hurt somebody. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's going to take some of these guys getting hurt probably to change anything. So I, you hope nobody gets seriously injured in the process while it's still changing. I feel like there's not as many guys out there still tackling that way, but mm-hmm. he's clearly one of them, and there's definitely a few more still out there. Yeah, and hopefully that gets phased out soon. I honestly think that the college rule that they just instituted this year where if you do quote-unquote targeting and you hit somebody with your helmet, not only is it a 15-yard personal foul, but it, it is subject to review to see if the intent, if, to see if it looked like the intent was there, but if it's determined that you targeted somebody, you're out of the game. And if you leave in the second half of a game, you're out the first half of next week's game. Uh, so, I mean, they're very serious about it. And they had one in Alabama, which was a, a Alabama at Texas A&M. That was a very close call. Um, they overturned his suspension. But uh, I believe it's Gary Danielson, who's the play-by-play guy for CBS College Football, had said a really uh, – it was a great thing that he said, basically saying – Listen, the replay official basically just admitted that that was not a foul. And that's very frustrating and maybe is a flaw in this rule. However, I need everybody to understand that this is for player safety, so let's just deal with it. And I I, I was happy that he had said that. And I hope that that maybe gets some of these young players to stop 
with those torpedo tacklers, and then it starts spilling into the NFL, where in five, ten years, it's not as big of a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I wish the NFL would institute that, too. I, I think it's really important that they have that review capability because, you know, on most penalties, it's not there. Mm-hmm. But you're going to have a lot of quick snap judgment calls where refs are going to either, you know, not throw a guy out or throw a guy out where, like in this instance with Merriweather, mm-hmm. you go back and look at the tape and it's clearly a dirty shot. So yeah. you can you can clearly tell if you're going to throw somebody out. Mm-hmm. I mean, they can err on the side of caution and not throw somebody out if he's wrapping up and his head's going up to the head on accident or something like that. But mm-hmm. in an instance like this, I mean, that guy's got to be out of the game. So mm-hmm. I uh, I would almost think that the NFL probably will institute that fairly soon. They're so serious about this, and they talk about how much they care. So, I mean, they've got to take more steps if they're going to eliminate this because clearly what they've done hasn't worked so far. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely cut down a little bit, but there's still a lot of work to do. Yeah, and even Brandon Merriweather, I mean, we want to blame it all on him, but Robert Francois having that stupid, you know, diving on a guy on the ground with his helmet. A.J. Hawk clearly lowered his helmet a couple of times, bashing people, cleaning up on tackles. And I don't know, it just, maybe that could go into, I know we were talking about James Starks initially, but that officiating (laughs) crew yesterday was brutal. Um, there was a bunch of different helmet-to-helmets that I th- thought they could have called. I don't think they called any of them. Uh, there was a bunch of holds on James Jones running. Uh, James Jones could have had 220 yards if he wouldn't have got held a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, th- that not touchdown, Washington's last touchdown, was absolutely a horrible call. Uh, I was, And then add that to the Wisconsin-Arizona State fiasco, and I've had it up to here with officials. I am like... I have no sympathy for these guys. You have one job, read the damn rule book, and just figure out how to do it. I, I, and people always are, oh, it's a part-time job. Well, their part-time job is six figures. My full-time job is not half of six figures, so it's hard for me to <laughs> really have any sympathy for these guys. But I'm, I've, I thought I would have it up to here with referees during the replacements fiasco, but now they bring these guys back. And every week, if you watch enough games, it's just pathetic. And it's so weird. I mean, we've complained complained about refs our whole lives, obviously. You watch any game, and you're so one-sided with who you're cheering for, you're going to have issues with the referee. But, I mean, we've seen things these last couple of years that are deciding games, which is something that we really haven't seen as much before. Yeah. From the Seahawks game last year to, like you said, the Badger game Saturday, which everybody's heard about. At Those guys point. should be I'm, fired. That was embarrassing. Right. Exactly. I mean, there's absolutely no no way that can happen. I mean, it and then obviously, you know, some of the things that happen in the Redskins game. Yeah. So it's just like we're getting the brunt of a lot of it here in Wisconsin. <laughs> I know it's happening elsewhere too, but it's like, man, it's just I've I've kind of lost all respect for these guys. And I know there's good crews out there and good officials, but we're not seeing them lately. Yeah, maybe they should throw us a bone every now and then and send us Mike Carey or something. I don't know. I, I mean, I know we've got some fans from other teams that listen to us, like Broncos fans, that are probably like, yeah, yeah, our team goes through the same thing. But seriously, I mean, it's been, it's been like, just trust us. If you haven't watched the games, I mean, what we've been going through here with referees is just unheard of. And it's, it's just blatant, like, missed calls, and, you know, it's it's just unbelievable. I mean, we've never seen anything like this before. Well, and clearly any missed calls in Broncos games are more than made up for the fact that the NFL allows them to play in a division with the Chiefs, Raiders, and Chargers. Who all won on Sunday. Yeah, well, you know, (laughs) week two. The the Chiefs are, right, 19 and all, right? I mean, they're they're on their way. Almost there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, almost. They're getting there. James Starks was real good yesterday. I guess we'll give him his due. And you never like to see Eddie Lacy get uh, taken out, but... (sighs) James Starks is a complete enigma to me. Every time he plays and he's motivated, he feels like he's a 
like a very good running back, like could be a 1200 yard back, and then I feel like next week he'll be ineffective again. I'm not sure how to analyze this guy, but uh, he certainly made the most of his opportunity yesterday. Yeah, it almost seems like he needs that chip on his shoulder. He's been uh, not playing a whole lot, and he gets this opportunity, and he plays really well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think that it has a lot to do with the defense we face. Not that he didn't look great, because he looked very good. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the blocking up front was better than usual for the Packers, so he had that to work with. But I think Lacey's still probably our best choice mm-hmm. for the number one running back spot. But, I mean, if he can at least play, you know, almost as good as he did yesterday coming you know, down the stretch here for the season, it's definitely going to be a pretty good number two, which I didn't think we had right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it would be nice to see them kind of work you know, with each other, especially the way that Eddie Lacy runs, and honestly the way that James Starks runs. They're probably not going to be totally healthy the whole season. So, right. I mean, you really could use both of them. It would be nice to see if Franklin can kind of get his legs underneath him a little bit and also be a contributor there. But um, I almost wonder if, you know, if Lacy especially being a young young player, I would ride James Starks at least next week, maybe the, the week after that, make sure that Lacey's 100% healthy. Uh, you don't want guys in their second game trying to power through concussions. Uh, so, you know, let's see what James Starks has. You never know. Maybe we'll get surprised, and we're probably going to need a running game against Cincinnati next week. Yeah, and I agree. I, I think it's nice that you don't feel like you have to rush Lacey back. Not that I think they would anyways with how – um, careful there about mm-hmm. the concussion stuff these days. But it's nice to know that we have Starks, you know, running well, and he, only one more week and then a bye week. So if he can get through this next week, maybe you just don't suit Lacey up mm-hmm. and just let Starks carry the load. I think that's probably a pretty good idea. So it's definitely nice to have him. And I, I'm curious as to why, I know the announcers were talking about it a lot. They expected to see Franklin, and we didn't see him at, at all. I don't even think he played an offensive snap. No, I don't think he did. So it was towards the end of the game, and I remember Buck or Aikman was saying, well, we expected to see him, but I don't think we're going to the rest of the day because Starks just kept coming on the field. So mm-hmm. this guy must not be on the coach's good side. I know you had kind of high hopes from, for him coming in here, but and a lot of people did as well, and he just hasn't even been able to sniff the field yet, even with injuries. Yeah, I drafted him Mr. Irrelevant on my fantasy team, and that, you know, what a stupid pick that was of me, uh, picking him with my 15th or 16th draft pick. But anyways, um, yeah, I guess we'll see what happens with him. But as long as James Starks can remain effective, uh, I think this could be a really nice one-two punch. And this offense is already pretty deadly. But the defense also played very well yesterday. They forced a turnover. They made RG3 incredibly uncomfortable. Uh, Clay Matthews looked to have another good game. BJ Raji was good. Uh, they struggled at times stopping the run, but... Uh, as Troy Aikman was saying at the end of the game, that if you look at the box score, or even if you watch the second half, it looked like our defense wasn't that great, but the game was over with about 10 minutes to play in the third quarter. So you just kind of have to finish the rest of it. Um, I, I thought the defense played well yesterday, but I still... RG3 feels a little bit off, and I don't know about you, Matt, but... The offense looks great, and maybe that's what's holding me back. We can talk about that in a little bit, but... That defense still isn't impressive enough for me to believe in this team as a legitimate threat to win the Super Bowl. Well, and really for me, some of the things that I was looking for coming into the season with the defense in order for me to get to that point, I'm kind of seeing a little bit of. I mean, the run defense has been fantastic. I know you said that they got started to get gashed a little, but really it was mostly in the second half. They mm-hmm. held... Morris pretty much in check for the first half, and RG3 obviously didn't run at all. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, they played awesome last week. They're playing great this week. I think the addition of Jolly and just everybody being healthy up front there for once 
finally it seems like this defensive, this run defense is clicking. The linebackers are, are getting a little bit better. That's still an area of concern for me, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I mean, Sam Shields and Tremont Williams looked awesome. And, uh, the secondary did get gashed a little in the second half, but it's all prevent defense, kind of garbage time yardage by Griffin anyways. They were very good in the first half. The safeties obviously scare me a little bit, but hopefully Burnett will be back soon and kind of help out that situation a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's still, I don't think, a great situation back there. I think linebackers and safeties is a couple of areas of concern, but honestly, they've looked a little bit better this year so far than I expected. Mm-hmm. The, uh, you know, overall last, or against the 49ers was pretty bad in the secondary, but I, re- I was really, really impressed yesterday by the defense overall. Yeah, I guess I was impressed too, to some degree, but you still have Pierre Garçon being the token guy who gets a bajillion yards. You still had Alfred, well, and a lot of that I know was in the second half, but I don't know. I mean, they did well in the first half. I'm not trying to make it sound, and they are better than I thought they would be, but they have to be better than, better than I thought they were going to be if this team has a legitimate chance to, like, go to Seattle and win, or go to San Francisco again and have a chance to win. Um, I know I don't I don't want to raid on a week two parade right now, but um, I'm still at the wait and see phase with this offense because we've seen with pretty much every great offense in the history of the NFL that you're going to have a bad day and almost invariably you're going to have at least one bad day in the playoffs. I mean, Aaron Rodgers won the NFC Championship game with a 55 quarterback rating, uh, so it's going to happen and your defense has to be there. Uh, your offensive powerhouses that won Super Bowls are your San Francisco 49ers and, you know, even the St. Louis Rams and stuff like that all had, like, top five defenses. So that's why they were able to beat up on teams because the other teams could never catch up. Um, even if the, you know, the, the, the 49ers or, or the Rams, you know, the greatest show on turf, won their NFC Championship game 11-6. to You know, I mean, you're going to need your defense at one point, and um, I don't, no, if, again, after two games, um, if I'm ready to say that I trust this team uh, uh, defensively. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's going to be obviously way too early to be able to tell that for sure. But I, I do think we've seen some good things. I think if that defensive line stays healthy, they're going to keep them in a lot of games back there, too. I, I'm afraid of that secondary getting picked apart, kind of like we did see in the second half. Mm-hmm. I know guys are kind of running open underneath in the prevent, but still, like you said, um, still some things to work on. But I, I think we've got some good signs. Yeah, it's a good building point, and you know, pretty explosive offense in the uh, in the in the Redskins, and they were able to hold them in check. And you know, sometimes you get gashed in the first game. It's the first time you really actually play together. Uh, it is the first time you play together, so um, we could see going forward. I don't know. The Bengals will be an interesting test. If they get gashed by the Bengals, that would be kind of uh, disheartening, I think. But um, you know, you never know what to get when you, or you never know what you're going to get when the Cincinnati Bengals are are on the field. So. <laughs> We'll see you next week. Maybe they can shut down. Um, I'm expecting A.J. Green to have about 371 yards receiving. Yeah, probably. Even, um, that's, maybe that's something I want to bring up. Um, do, do we have anything else about this uh, game we want to talk about before we transition to a, a topic that kind of deals with the rest of the league? No, I think we can move on. Okay. Um, obviously the big story will be the San Francisco-Seattle game, but before we get to that... Just thinking about kind of the Bengals, where you always have a lot of A.J. Green huge games, and then somehow the Bengals score 13. Um, I don't, I know I've talked about this already about the modern bad quarterback, that they just seem to never take any risks, and their final stat lines, like a 72 quarterback rating with no touchdowns, no picks, 45% completion percentage. I think the epitome of that 
was I was watching on the uh, Red Zone channel, I was watching the Raiders-Jags for a couple of plays yesterday, and they had one play. It was like third and 15 for Jacksonville. They had Chad Henney in there. And it just epitomizes, like, bad modern offenses. They had, to his left, this crazy trips formation where it was literally three wide receivers in a line. One on the line of scrimmage, one a couple yards behind him, and then another a couple yards behind him. I'd never seen that before. Hmm. And so they take the snap on third and 15, and Chad Henney takes a three-step drop and, like, bounces a five-yard pass to the tight end on the other side of the field. And I'm like, what are you doing? You see the Rams do that kind of stuff all the time. It's like, I don't understand the philosophy of these bad offenses nowadays. It's like efficiency trumps everything. Who cares if it's third and 15 and we're in a in an exotic formation? Better not throw an interception. Let's throw this six-yard pass. Yeah, it's it's so frustrating to watch. But I, it's it's kind of crazy with all these you know insane offenses out there that there's teams as just as pitiful as like Jacksonville. I know they're one of the worst offenses we've seen in a while, but yeah, I mean, there's so many quarterbacks like that, not just like teams. And you kind of wonder if it's strategy or if it's mm-hmm. you know these quarterbacks just checking down constantly. But you know, maybe they just the quarterbacks are so bad they just don't trust them to throw it further than ten yards. But how the hell are you in the NFL if you can't throw it more than ten yards? It's I'm mm-hmm. glad we don't have to watch a whole lot of Jaguars games. Oh yeah, me too. That was brutal. And and I, I don't know, maybe it's the college thing because there's so many teams running spread offenses now and it's all about quick passes and quick decisions and, you know, kind of throwing the percentages, high completion percentage, don't turn the ball over. Mm-hmm. And it makes for some really bad NFL play. It's like if you're going to have Chad Henney or if you're going to be one of these horrible teams, Brandon Whedon, like – and I don't mean to sound like I'm a hundred years old and it was better back in the day, but it's like, don't you just miss teams with horrible quarterbacks? Like, where are my Josh McCowns that are like, all right, let's throw four picks and lose like 34 to nothing. That's better than losing 13 to six where the other team has nine first downs. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not, that's just brutal. And I, I'm, well, I'm a bad quarterbacks throw. You know, <laughs> yeah. just even like five years ago, it seemed like you know Brian Greasy's working and and throwing a bunch of picks, but he's still throwing the ball and like Down you said, McCown. Yeah, They're just a bunch of bad quarterbacks, but they still threw the ball. Now it's just these teams are relying on their also awful defenses to try to keep them in games, and then they can't do anything either. Obviously, it's just just terrible football. And have the Jacksonville Jaguars ever won anything throwing checkdowns? I mean, come on, it's like. I don't know. Somebody sitting around who somehow has a huge offensive coordinator coaching tree was sitting there in 2002 thinking, yeah, Chad Pennington. That's how it's done. <laughs> and I know you probably disagree with this, but uh, they're, uh, a bunch of their fans, I guess, are getting together to to get them to get Tim Tebow. Um, so, but w- and, and I'm more of a, obviously a lot more of a Tim Tebow fan than you are, but would you think that this offense would be better if he was running it? I mean, they're already so conservative. I mean, at least put Tebow in there, and it'll at least be, be a little bit more exciting. I can't imagine it being worse with yeah. Tim Tebow. They had a stat yesterday, and uh, I, it was on Twitter, so I don't know if it um, was confirmed, but... Uh, Maurice Jones-Drew got hurt in the game yesterday for the Jaguars, and the Jags only had like 132 yards of total offense, and then Maurice Jones-Drew got hurt, and then the next like six drives gained one yard for Jacksonville. It's, I don't know, I mean at least Tebow could run a little bit and maybe bring that kind of dynamic. He, I don't care what anybody says, 
he is a horrible passer. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe he's a good quarterback. Maybe he's a good leader. He had that uh, amazing game that nobody can ever take away from him in the wild card round of 2011. But I don't know if you saw any of the Patriots preseason games this year. He is atrocious at the NFL level trying to throw in those tight windows. He can't do it. Yeah, the Jags are already running that t- the Jets offense though from when, or uh, I'm sorry, the uh, the Broncos offense from when he was starting there. So they might as well. I mean, if they're not going to throw it further than four yards, he could do that all day. So that's true. And at least he takes some chances downfield. Yeah. Um, man, this is a lot more Jags talk than I thought we'd ever have on Hungry <laughs> to Go Forever. But uh, I guess uh, let's let's talk about some of the other stuff around the league. Um, oh, actually, real quick. Um, one of the big stories that came out of this game locally, this Packer game, was the protests of some of the local Native American tribes about the Washington Redskins name. And I don't know if we want to get too into this. We're not a political show or, or anything like that. But I thought it's an interesting topic, and certainly it's worth mentioning. Uh, I don't want to be the kind of show that shies away from controversial stuff, even if it maybe uh, generates some different opinions. But... Um, how do you feel about that Redskins name? I mean, neither of us, I guess we're not probably fooling anybody. Neither of us are from a minority. Um, so do, do you think they should change that name or at least uh, entertain the idea of reconsidering that name? And I've uh, I've kind of been on the fence about a lot of these Native American name changes. I mean, like teams like the Warriors, they seem, you know, more respectful. Chiefs seem, you know, more respectful and everything. And I, mm-hmm. I've, I've heard the arguments from both sides. And I, you know, I, I disagree with some of them, but this one, it's so racist. Yeah. That I, I mean, I know there's a lot of history there, and I mean, we grew up watching the Redskins. You've got your 1987's Redskins <laughs> video that we used to watch all the time. So I mean, it kind of has, you know, the name means more to us than I think most kids from Wisconsin probably. But yeah, it's it's so bad. And there are no names left like this out there. They've all been wiped out already. Mm-hmm. But because this is an NFL team, it's kind of stuck on. I just think that it's. I mean, it's just so bad and it's so racist that I, I can't even believe it still exists, honestly, in today's day with how you know politically correct everything has to be. So I know Snyder's gonna fight for it for all he's worth, but to me, I think if you're offending you know anybody that much, it's mm-hmm. it's just not worth it. I don't think that any really Washington fans can fight too much against this. I mean, mm-hmm. I know that they want to keep their name, but really, I mean, how how can you fight for a name like that? I mean, it's. <laughs> I, I, maybe you have a different opinion, I, but I, I would think that there's better names that they could come up with and kind of keep things the same in terms of uniforms and, and logos and stuff. Obviously, other than the Indian Head logo, but yeah, um, or the Mike Shanahan logo with the <laughs> dreadlocks. <laughs> but, but, but I guess I, I don't know what. what do you, you might have a completely different opinion on this than me. I guess we haven't really talked well, about it. We wanted to save it for the show here. So, well, first I have to catch my breath after the the Mike Shanahan logo, but. Um, <laughs> I think your latter point is is uh, reflecting of how I feel as well. It it doesn't offend me, but I'm not part of that that group, so I really it, my opinion doesn't carry as much weight as somebody who is is in that group that is is misrepresented by a name as racist as Redskins. I think that part of me thinks that it's it's an old name. When you think Washington Redskins, nobody thinks of Native Americans. They think of a burgundy football helmet and John Riggins and Joe Gibbs and, uh, you know, players from the Washington Redskins. They think football. Um, so I guess I can understand the arguments for keeping it. But at the same point, I, I totally agree that 
it's not worth that fight. If somebody finds it offensive, it's 2013. Uh, to have that kind of name that originated in the 1930s when the America wasn't quite as good of a place as it is now uh, for certain people, I just think that's a fight you just should concede. There's You can gain nothing by fighting for that name. I, I mean, other than you, you fight for heritage. And remember, this is a franchise that was the last to integrate anyways. I mean, you don't want to add another legacy to that already kind of dubious distinction of being the the last team to get with the 20th century. So I just think this is a fight you should probably concede. I would work with the um, uh, some of the Native American tribes, especially locally, but some of the large one nas- ones nationally, and see if you could find some kind of compromise. And to me, like you said, there's some names that are very respectful of the Native American culture. Maybe it's a little bit of a stereotype, but that's kind of the nature of mascots to begin with. Um, Washington Warriors sounds fine to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I actually thought of a when you had initially brought this up last week, I actually thought of a few names that I thought were pretty decent. I mean, in, in my opinion, I think you could just shorten it to like you know the Washington Reds, and just like the Cincinnati Reds, you could keep mm-hmm. the art, you know, the R logo, and you could keep pretty much everything the same, mm-hmm. but you just take out the skins <laughs> part of it, yeah. and it's a whole lot better sounding, and you could you know like I said, keep pretty much everything else the same. I mean, there's a lot of here in DC. There's a million names you could come up with for for the. Uh, you know, kind of governmental things. You'd be like the filibusters or something. I don't know, but <laughs> they could just but, have I mean, dots so on their helmet. You could do, yeah, <laughs> just put the full word on there. Yeah. <laughs> but I, there's a lot of things you can do. It just looks so bad for an old white guy and Dan Snyder to be, you oh. know, fighting to keep this name. It's just a bad look, and I, I think it's just like you said, probably not worth it. it it's it's just such a bad name that I don't know if it'll ever change, but I got to I kind of got to believe that it it should, and hopefully it does here in the near mm-hmm. future. Washington Reds, I like it. Yeah, not bad, huh? Same color scheme. You could do everything. You could have that R logo that they have on the 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 uh, alternate uniforms. Mm-hmm. I say they should just go with that. Well, um, I don't really have a segue to the next thing, but the 49ers got smashed last night, and the Seattle Seahawks. I didn't watch all this game because I don't have. I still have Time Warner cable, like everybody knows by now, so I have to watch it on the NFL mobile app on my iPhone. And so I got to see some of it, but after a one-hour lightning delay, I didn't really care to stay up to watch a game on my phone. Uh, I saw that Seattle, one, looked pretty decisively from the score. From what I did see, it was kind of one of those dreaded slow blowouts that you and I hate, uh, where it never feels like a team just stomps the other. It just slowly accumulates more and more points, and then when it's over, it's a 25-point win. Part of me seeing that is... I don't think less of San Francisco, and I don't necessarily think more of Seattle. I just think their home field advantage is such an advantage that it's it's almost like it's two different teams with Seattle. But after seeing Seattle struggle against Carolina, and then seeing them put the boots to the San Francisco 49ers, is it safe to say that the Packers are firmly entrenched within the top five teams in the NFL, and despite my reservations, and you told me this last year, that maybe the Packers aren't the traditional Super Bowl champion that I'm always looking for, but they're as good as anybody else who's playing in 2013. Yeah, I I think they are, really. I mean, I put Denver in front of them, and that's the only team in the AFC I would put ahead of them, and then you've got San Francisco What about the 2-0 Dolphins? I'm not maybe the Chiefs, but not the Dolphins just yet. they got to prove themselves more, but, you know, really, other than San Francisco, Seattle, and Potentially Atlanta, which I'm not even 
firm on that, that they're better than Green Bay yet either. Yeah. I mean, they're right there. <laughs> and that's pretty much all you have to be these days in the NFL. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in terms of that game last night, it, it was just your typical slow blowout. And <laughs> I, uh, the only thing that I really take away from that is I do think Seattle's defense is quite a bit better than San Francisco's right now. Not that San Francisco's bad. Mm-hmm. I just think Seattle's that much better than everybody else. Okay. I mean, an offense that's that dynamic and just crushed us, not that that's saying much, but, I mean, for them to just be completely stymied and not be able to do absolutely anything. Mm-hmm. And they only played, you know, at Carolina. Let's play ball, it's game day. We want strikeouts, base hits, double plays. Take the field, hear the roar of the crowd. Come on, Marlins, make us proud. Come on, Marlins, make us proud. Keep hoping and dreaming that you will soar. Welcome back to Green and Gold Forever. Uh, we had some technical difficulties there. We've had computer problems between uh, the both of us recently, so... Uh, uh, lucky that we got through so much of this without any technical difficulties. Plus, it gave us a, an opportunity to hear that great uh, Scott Stapp of Creed song for the Miami Marlins. Uh, Matt, that's got to be one of your top five favorites of all time, right? It was about the worst moment of my life when you introduced that to me <laughs> the other day. I, went and I watched it online. And it, it's so bad, but you just can't stop listening to it. And I was singing it the entire night after that, too. It's just horrible. I mean, if you could think of a worse guy to sing a, a sports song, I can't, <laughs> other than Scott Stapp. But uh, anyways, as the point we were making, you know, as Seattle's defense is, it just seems kind of a, in a league of their own right now. Their offense tends to struggle from time to time, but they looked okay last night, mm-hmm. and it, you know, they just don't have to do a whole lot with the way that their defense plays. Yeah, and their defense was the best scoring defense in the league last year by by far. I think they had like 40 fewer points in San Francisco. I mean, it was pretty impressive. Uh, what they did last year, and that's kind of in our in our preview show. The main reason why I picked Seattle was their defense is really good, and they're almost automatic. I mean, they're going to win at least seven of their home games. You got to believe. And, and if they get home field throughout, I mean, how, how do you it's beat over. That team there? It's, it's, it's over. It's not going to happen. Yeah, exactly. And um, I don't know. I mean, you like to think the Packers have a chance. Uh, their their defense, for whatever reason, I know it's. One game plus one half of a preseason game. The Packers' defense seems to match up real well against Seattle's offense for some yeah. reason. And so you you believe that? I mean, we say how afraid we are to put our defense up against these great teams, but maybe Seattle's one of those. I'm certainly less afraid of Seattle, even if it's in Seattle, than I am playing San Francisco or the New York Giants. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, it's it might be a different story once they get Percy Harvin back, depending on how he looks at the end of the year. I mean, that's just another added thing that maybe they're missing is just an explosive player like that. But mm-hmm. in the meantime, yeah, I mean, I'd rather I'd rather play Seattle in the playoffs, I think, than than have to travel to San Francisco again at this point. Maybe Minnesota will uh, surge back, and we can play them and the Bears in the playoffs, and then go to the Super Bowl and play the play the Chiefs and that'd be nice. You know, win a shootout with that great Alex Smith <laughs> at quarterback. Yeah, they're basically a lock over there. So, <laughs> yeah, well, it looks that way. You know, they had that one point win over Dallas, and everybody knows how you know Dallas has just been racking up the playoff wins and you know <laughs> all that in recent years. So, big win for the Chiefs yesterday. What do you think of the All Reds? Is uh, that's the first time I ever remember seeing the All Reds. Yeah, those were pretty cool. Yeah, now that you mentioned, I, I believe they've worn those before, but they they did look pretty cool. I I think the Chiefs are 
top three or so uniforms in the league. They're just so awesome. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, any combination is pretty good, but they're just great uniforms overall. Yeah, maybe that's a, that'll have to be a... Uh, maybe, I think we might have done that already. I think uh, we did. <laughs> for, a, for a crossfire, but yeah, I would definitely agree. The Chiefs uniforms are awesome. Um, was there any other big stories out of the NFL yesterday that uh, came to mind for you? I mean, not really. I I think one of the, the happiest things for me is how bad the NFC East looked. Maybe we can stop getting them on national TV all the freaking time. I'm, <laughs> I'm so sick of watching the NFC East, and they're so bad. I mean, you watch that Giants-Cowboys game week one, and both teams look terrible. And then they go and play one of what people think is one of the worst divisions in the NFC or in the NFL in the AFC West, and they all lose. Three teams lost to AFC West teams. Mm-hmm. So it's... Uh, I think people are going to finally see that these teams are just not that good, and mm-hmm. uh, and hopefully we don't have to watch them as much anymore. Yeah, and I know the Giants, they have two Super Bowl wins. They're from New York, so you at least understand it a bit, but I think it was like 2011 where like the first six Cowboys games we watched in Wisconsin, and they haven't been good for a long time. Right. And I'm so tired of watching them bumble against these bad teams, and... They are the epitome of the team that plays down to their competition. They, I mean, I mean, they played up to their competition yesterday. I mean, they had to pull out all the stops to, to that one point. Lot. I'll, exactly. I'll leave the Chiefs alone now. But, um, <laughs> but all of these teams, and I felt bad for Eli, I guess, just because he's getting bested by Peyton again. But he played horrible. That that Giants team, watching them yesterday, I was. Frustrated all over again at how that 2011 team of those guys who never seem to be in the right place, always making mistakes, stupid penalties, stupid turnovers, just the weirdest stuff, dropping balls that ricochet off the opponent's heels into the arms of other <laughs> opponents. That seems to happen to them constantly, and then they get in the playoffs, and they're like Gibbs' Redskins. No mistakes, perfect defense, perfect offense. And um, watching that yesterday, I'm like, these bums have two Super Bowl rings, in the last six seasons, it just doesn't seem fair. And they're almost the same team, too. It's just bizarre. I know they've got a couple of injuries and stuff, but they're almost an identical team as the one who won it a couple of years ago, and they just have looked really bad the last two years. So mm-hmm. they'll probably make the playoffs again and win another Super Bowl <laughs> this year, for all we know. But they, uh, they don't look good, and none of the teams in that division do right now. Well, they'll probably win the next six, you would have to imagine. I was looking up, and I didn't write it down, but it was phenomenal. Uh, I always, for whatever reason, when I think of the Giants, I think of them being 6-2. and two. And I looked it up, and since 2005, they've been 6-2 and two like six times. Wow. Never been 7-2. and two. <laughs> <laughs> They've lost that eight, uh, that ninth game every single time. Um, ugh, what bums. I, ugh, whatever. Um, yeah, I, I think that stood out. Uh, the Eagles kind of looking more traditional, and then losing to San Diego, I think... Uh, the Miami Dolphins, 2-0, and I guess some of the people were right about that bandwagon. Uh, happy for Joe Philbin, but not really impressed with either of those victories, I, I think. Right. You look at the way that Denver played the New York Giants, and you got to think they ought to be ashamed of themselves if they don't go 13-3. and Right, and I, there just doesn't seem like there's any potential for them to lose in the playoffs at this point. It seems like everybody else in that conference has gotten worse except for them and they've gotten better mm-hmm. i'm going to be really shocked at this point i mean some teams could turn it around here in the second half of the season or i guess we still have 14 weeks so it's yeah. 13 15 weeks so anything can happen but i mean right now it doesn't look like anybody's even close yeah and new england and that's 
what made me so jealous of those AFC powerhouses is watching New England play the Jets on Thursday night. Um, uh, of course, I usually don't watch Thursday night football. I was so pumped. I'm like, Thursday night football is back. I'm going to start watching it this year. And it's it feels like that the NFL, in a lot of different ways, it's like somebody who's sitting there making the schedules like, oh, so you like football. Prove it. Here's Jets at Patriots. <laughs> And it was just a horrible game, 13-10. And New England has played horrible two consecutive weeks. And because of where they are, in what conference and in what division, they're 2-0 and and have a stranglehold on the AFC East. Already 2-0 and in the division. And they're just brutal. The Packers scored more points in the first 35 minutes of their game yesterday than New England scored in two victories. Yeah, um, I don't know the order of selection for how that goes with the picking of the games and what channels they go on, but it seems like NFL Network gets about the, the like third to last choice for the weekend, <laughs> whatever they want. They always have the worst games. Well, uh, it's Andy Reid at the Eagles next Thursday, so that, that has a potential to be decent, I guess. Um, yeah, but they, they, I think they have the Jags one week on Thursday Night Football. Like Jags-Titans or something. Jeez. Uh, I don't know who's in charge of that one, but maybe it's... I, I thought it was somewhere in the contract where it's required that every team get a nationally televised game, so maybe... Yeah, they... I think every team is supposed to play on Thursdays, or at least, yeah, have a nationally televised game, so I think all the ones that don't make Monday night or Sunday night or end up on Thursday night. <laughs> they stick they them had on a bunch Thursday. of Rams games last year, it seemed like. Yeah, yeah. They, I, I know they had Rams-Cardinals when the Cardinals had their 4-0 start, and they were trying to make it like this was going to be proving grounds for them, and then they were another horrible, like, 17-13 play, uh, game. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not ready for Thursday night. They have another new weird song to start it about some girl singing about it being her town. It sounds like the intro to a Disney Channel yeah, sitcom. <laughs> Better than CeeLo, though, I guess. Yeah, that's true. That's hard to be worse than that. Better than Scott Stapp, perhaps. I don't know. That's a toss-up. <laughs> All right. Um, wow, this has been kind of like barstool talk for Green and Gold Forever, but like, hopefully it's been enjoyable to listen to. Up next for the Packers, they have the Cincinnati Bengals, and... They are currently on a two-game losing streak in the regular season to the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, don't play them very often, but they have not defeated the Bengals since the third week of the 1998 season when Holmgren's Packers beat Bruce Coslett's Neil O'Donnell-led Bengals in Riverfront Stadium. So it's been a while since they beat the Cincinnati Bengals, and uh, uh, hopefully they can do it this time around. What are you expecting in that one? I'm I'm kind of expecting a, a sort of similar game to just what happened yesterday. I think personally, I th- I think their defense is a lot better than Washington, so I don't think Rodgers throws for 480, but I th- I think we can put up enough points to beat that offense. I they seem kind of like a one-trick pony. It's the deep ball to AJ Green, which is strangely super effective, no matter how <laughs> many times they run it. It seems like yeah. But Jermon Williams has always been pretty good at shutting down big receivers. I expect him to at least hold A.J. Green in check enough that we're able to outscore him a little bit here. Um, I don't think we get the run game going like we did against Washington at all, but I, th- I think the, the passing game is good enough that we can can top Andy Dalton. I would hope their run game is pretty poor. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to say I, I expect a, uh, let's see, I'll say 30-17 to 17 Packers win. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, you make some really good points. Uh, yeah, the Bengals pretty much are all about Adrian Green at this point from their point production standpoint. Um, it, it, who's their running back? Is it Green Ellis? Uh, they have uh, Gio Bernard and I think uh, Ben Jarvis Green Ellis has actually been getting the majority of the carries, but I could be wrong there. Okay. Yeah, and Andy Dalton just feels like the kind of quarterback that Dom always excels against. Not, re- not 
really, really accurate, but good enough to where it feels like an impressive uh, feat if you're able to shut him down. They don't have a lot of weapons outside of A.J. Green. Admittedly, that's a very powerful weapon, but... Yeah, they definitely could lose this one because Cincinnati's defense feels good enough, especially on the road. Um, they haven't had a game this big outside of the division in a long time, it feels like, in Cincinnati. Yeah. So they're going to be geared up for it. But luckily it's a noon game. You kind of aren't going to have quite the zip of a 3 o'clock or a Monday nighter or something. I think the Packers can win this one. I'm certainly bracing for a loss. I think it's definitely possible, being that it's a road game. But I think the Packers are able to win this one. I think lower scoring than you. I'll say 24-16 Packers. Yep, and I I wouldn't be surprised. I think we'll probably get a better gauge for this Bengals team tonight here against a Steelers team, which looked so bad last week. But I, I... Really, they weren't super impressive against Chicago. Their super explosive offense uh, made some mistakes and, and didn't look great. So I I think we can, hopefully after this game, we'll get a better idea, and hopefully they lose to Pittsburgh tonight and look terrible doing it. Or they just look great and get super cocky and then uh, come coasting into uh, Paul Brown Stadium and get uh, a whooping. Either one. <laughs> yeah. Well, didn't we decide that if uh, we ever got really disheartened with the Packers that we're going to be Bengals fans, or did I decide that for both of us? I think you decided for both of us, but <laughs> I think uh, I think the Chiefs are my number two, if you couldn't tell, but it's hard not to root for the Bengals. I mean, they've never been great, so I always cheer for the underdog, I guess, and no reason not to like them, so I guess they're not a bad second option. I, I, I like the Bengals too, but I... I, I can't even say they're my second option. I'll always have a soft spot for the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, you're a big Bills guy. <laughs> All right, well, hopefully the Packers can delay the Bengals' return to prominence by at least one week with a big win uh, in Cincinnati next week. Uh, if you want to interact with us, you can go on our Facebook page, Green and Gold Forever Podcast on Facebook. You can comment underneath the podcast you're likely listening to now on our Podbean page. That's Green Gold Forever. That's the number four, dot podbean.com. I'm also posting 10-minute previews uh, to any of our uh, podcasts on YouTube this season. So, obviously, if you're listening right now, you don't need to listen to the 10-minute 10, uh, 10 preview, but I guess... I don't know, tell your friends to do it, whatever. Uh, but you can comment on there as well, too, uh, Green Gold Forever uh, on YouTube. Uh, there's also some old what-ifs and, and whatever on there. I'm going to try to add more content on there as we go along. So until then, uh, the NFL season is up and rolling, and it looks like the Green Bay Packers once again have one of the fastest horses in the race. So hopefully they can leg this one out this season. So until next week, for Matt out in Eau Claire, it's Eric and Oshkosh, and have a great week, everybody. Take care.